Well, good morning. It's great to be able to greet you in our Savior's name, and it's great to take this mask off, especially when I just had a, a menthol uh, cough drop put on my mouth. Do you know how that burns your eyes? Oh, not thinking ahead. But uh, it's great to be able to greet you in our Savior's name. And I want to tell you, um, I, you know, sometimes we just get into a funk. Do you ever get into a funk? And sometimes when things go on and on and on, uh, you know, we start grumbling and complaining. And uh, I, I was having a personal worship time this morning. This is not the sermon, by the way. But as, as I was doing this, I was reading Psalm 137. And uh, it, context, you know, the, the children of Israel are captives in Babylon. And uh, it says, uh, you know, they're, they're, da- they're in a funk. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 2, we hung our harps upon the willows in the, midst of, in the midst of it. For those who carried us away captive asked us to sing a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And we asked, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And then that's a great question. In other words, they're saying, We just can't do this. You know, we can't, we can't play the harp. We're just going to hang it up, literally. And they, they hung up their harps. But you know the interesting thing? All of a sudden, they got perspective. And the perspective comes with this statement. And this is really what hammered at my, my soul this morning as I was worshiping. It says there, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, that's where they centered on worship. Let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. In other words, I don't care how bad it is. I don't care if I feel like I'm in a funk. I'm not going to hang it up. I'm going to keep praising the Lord. I may not, I may not, uh, you know, use my harp and I may not be in Jerusalem. I may not be in that ideal state, but I can certainly praise the Lord. And let me tell you, you may be in a funk you know, you have all of these great plans for Thanksgiving and they sort of uh, have evaporated to some extent or you're trying to figure out how to eat turkey with a mask on. You know, uh, let me tell you this. You know, don't forget. Remember the Lord's blessing. And He is good. And He is good all the time. Now that sermon's over and we'll get to another one. But, uh, but it just really touched my heart. Because I have to confess to you, I was in a bit of a funk. You know, our plans had, had drastically changed from what we had planned on doing. And uh, yet, the, the Lord is good. And He's good all the time. And He's good when we're in Babylon. He's good when we feel like we're captive. It's good because He is God. And then uh, this little uh, thing I was reading... It said, uh, you know, after all, this world is not our home. I couldn't help but think of that song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open doors. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Love the world. Love what God has done. But this isn't it. You know, there's more coming. And that's great news. Well, that, as I said, that's the end of that sermon. But I, I don't know, you know, in that particular psalm, it says, if, if he didn't remember, he needs to remember. We all need to remember. And uh, 
You know, I, I think sometimes we, we have a, a little bit of a problem remembering things. And, uh, you know, and I think we need to remember. Uh, now, I have a, I, one of my favorite cartoons, and you know I love cartoons. I did a lot of cartooning. But this is, the plugger is one of my favorites because I'm a plugger. And uh, he goes along there and says, now what was I looking for again? At the bottom it says, a plugger has a photographic memory, just not the same day development. <laughs> and uh, that's sort of the way I am. I just, I, I forget. And, and I put it this way, I have a different way of my plugger, is that I have a perfect memory, it's just short. <laughs> and uh, I came here today and I, I was getting my sound stuff on, and I put my briefcase down, and I came up to Doris afterwards, I said, do you know where I put my briefcase? I, I had just put it down. You know, so uh, you know, we do have those problems with memory. And the problem with memory is not just in everyday life, but I think sometimes we forget to remember the blessings of God in our life. Or we allow the blessings of God to distort the way we look at life. And that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. And I'd like to just pray and commit this time to the Lord. Father, thank you for the worship that we've been able to focus upon today. We thank you that we've been able to use voices and instruments to praise you. And even in the midst of being possibly in a funk, we still can rejoice in the Lord and in the power of his might. And Lord, we look at everything else around us that seems like it has power. It is nothing compared to the power of Almighty God. It is nothing compared to the blessings that God brings to our lives every day. And we rejoice and we reflect upon this. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. My, my, my mother uh, used to use a phrase. It's, it's, it's kind of a strange phrase. And, and the phrase that she used over and over again with me, she would say, uh, now don't forget to remember. Now, and it, that's a strange phrase. Don't forget to remember. And then she would fill in the blanks. You know, she would... It, it, because it, this fit in with so many things. Don't forget to remember to write a thank you note to your Nana for, for the gift she sent you. Don't forget to remember to wear something, uh, to bring along a, a sweatshirt because it's going to get cold tonight. Don't forget to remember, you know, and you fill in the blank. And what she was really saying is that there's something important that you must not forget. And so she would use that phrase, don't forget to remember. Well, uh, I am sometimes memory challenged. I don't know if you've ever been that way. I, uh, you know, I just forget. And I forget the, the blessings of God. And that's why I wanted to share with you this morning how God, in His grace, hammered home to me a thought that I had to not forget to remember. I needed to remember that even if I'm in a funk, I got to get over it because God is good. And he's good all the time. And so uh, I, was, I was just sort of thinking about that. And perhaps our culture, uh, we're memory challenged, and we need a similar admonition. And several years ago, in the New York Post, they reviewed a, a book that was written by a man named Easterbrook. And the title of the book is classic. He says, The Progress Paradox, How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse. Now, isn't that a paradox? And, and it is. And, th and then the reviewer states the, this particular book 
starts with a promising puzzle, and it says Americans live in what our ancestors, even a generation or two ago, would have considered material utopia. I, I can remember this. I, I can remember uh, how things were, and you know, I didn't know any better, and, and then all of a sudden things changed. I was thinking about this as I was preparing the sermon. When I was a kid, we, things were tough. We uh, were coming out of uh, World War II. My dad had come back, and he still was going through, um, now we call it, uh, you know, traumatic stress things. He would wake up in the middle of the night with nightmares and scream, and, you know, we, they had to take the guns out of the house because he was afraid what he would do, and, and I can remember that. And I can remember, you know, him bringing home from the Acme markets day-old bread. That's all we ever ate was day-old bread. And I remember the first time I went to a friend's house and we had lunch at his house, I hated their bread. It was fresh bread. It stuck to the roof of my mouth. I just, you know, day old bread doesn't do that, if, if any of you want to know. And, and, and I can remember that. And, and yet, we have so many blessings now, and yet we sometimes overlook those blessings. We're not happy with this. And, and the question was asked in this book is, why don't we feel happier? And the, an interviewer did a, an interview with this writer of this book, <clears throat> and Easterbrook suggests one of the reasons, and I'm quoting, he said, getting more money has nothing to do with how happy you feel in life. In a sense, this is the proof that money cannot buy happiness. But researchers who have studied people, higher income people, are no happier than lower income people. Members of the Forbes, the Forbes 400 a list of the richest men and women in the world, are not any happier as a group than the people who earn the median income. Money doesn't buy happiness. The proof is now in, if anybody doubted that that was true. Now, some of you are saying cynically, well, I'm willing to try to see if money will make me happy. You know, just, I'm just willing to try it. But, but I, I think it's interesting. He, he, he goes along and he said something significant. He says, I think the modern era has created a materialism jealousy effect that didn't exist before you might what, what, what you may now call catalog-induced anxiety. Now, I don't know how, how many of you have gotten catalogs in the mail and you don't know what to do with all the catalogs you're getting. I mean, I look through those and I, I, you know, I sort of fantasize, ooh, wouldn't that be neat? You know, ooh, that's cool, isn't that cool? One of my favorites is Vermont catalogs. I go through that things and I see all these dainty things you can eat. And I go through there and go, ooh. And then all the, board, all the old board's going to remember. And then I look down at the price and said, not getting that. Not getting that. But, you know, it, and it's, it's this anxiety because these catalogs keep coming and it induces us to want things more and more. And we're not satisfied with the things that God has already blessed us with. And I think that's a great phrase, catalog-induced anxiety. And then, then he was asked in this interview, he says, why, why do you think this has happened? He said, well, you know, there's always been extremely, unbelievably wealthy people. Except we just didn't know what it was like for them to be wealthy. But now we even have programs, and it says, the life of the rich and the famous and you go into their house and you see their gold toilets and, you know, all of these things that they have there. And, and you sort of wonder and you think, wow, man, I am really poor. Really? 
because you don't have a gold toilet? You know, you're really poor? But you see, what happens is we start to compare with what other people have that we don't have, and we begin to look down upon what we do have. And all of the riches that we have, you say, and, and then we become a sort of, a, you know, to this point where we think, well, uh, if I have $25,000, I would really be happy if I had fifty. If I had $50,000, I'd really be happy if I had hundred, and, and so forth and so on. And uh, it's kind of interesting because he, he said in the interview that we're endlessly chasing the last dollar of maximized income and think it's a form, a form of happiness, but it's actually a form of unhappiness. And then he said, you know, we haven't realized it yet, but he calls it the revenge of the credit card. He said, we can put everything on credit thinking that'll make us happy. And then all of a sudden we realize we have to pay for all that stuff. And now we're not happy. We're extremely unhappy because of the indebtedness we have. Well, sort of in an environment of material blessing, sometimes we need to remember how blessed we are. How blessed we are. And that's a good thing to keep in mind. In fact, that's what Easterbrook suggests. He suggests that we need to spend uh, more time on being grateful for what we currently have, and he calls for a rebirth of thankfulness. A rebirth of thankfulness. Proper thankfulness. Seeing life as it really should be seen. I suppose that it's, uh, it's very true that what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, he said, you say, if I had a little more, I would be very satisfied. You make a mistake. If you are not content with what you have, you will not be satisfied if we're double. Think of it in terms of math. Zero times two is zero. So if you can't be satisfied with what you have, you're probably not going to be satisfied if it were doubled. And, and that's a hard thing for us sometimes to get in mind. Uh, it's a call. Don't forget to be thankful, just like my mother used to say. Don't forget to be thankful. In fact, that's what we want to look at in a passage in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I'd like to have you turn there because we must not forget the Lord because of our blessings. And that is a possibility. Uh, let me give you a background very quickly about this particular passage of Scripture because it's uh, significant statements that are going here. Deuteronomy records for us the farewell remarks of Moses, now 120 years of age. He's, he's about to pass off the scene and he wrote down in the last weeks of his life the book of Deuteronomy. And he's led the people in the wilderness for some 40 years. And they have been provided for in everything. We think Social Security is great. We think all of our investments are great. I want to tell you, they had a Social Security system that was perfect because God provided it. And it describes it in this passage of Scripture. The first generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, had died in the wilderness because they hadn't obeyed God. And they're about to go in and conquer the land. And uh, there was previously fear about the giants. And now he says, you need to have faith in Almighty God. He says, your ancestors didn't know, remember this. Now those who are mere children during the Exodus or born during the wilderness wanderings are now about to take possession of what God has promised. And it's about a month before they enter into the land that they're challenged by Moses in chapter 8 
to renew the, and obey God's command. It says it in verse 2, it says in verse 1, and he keeps saying, you need to remember what God has said. You need to remember what God has promised. You need to remember what God has done. And so this is the emphasis that we have here. And sprinkled through chapter 8 are his instructions, and there are many warnings that are planted in that chapter. One of the warnings he issued was about how blessed we could become and how the blessings, though, could actually be a hindrance. They actually could cause people to forget God. Could that happen? Have we as a nation done that? We've been blessed beyond imagination. Have we therefore distorted our understanding of God? And should we be careful? Well, let's look at this passage of Scripture. And what I'd like to do, he starts off, and there's three divisions in chapter 8 I want you to see. The first one is reflecting upon God's past blessings. Verse 1, Every commandment which I commanded you today you must be careful to observe, that you may possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all, all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know that what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. Interesting passage of Scripture. And here, what he's doing is he's reflecting on God's past blessings. So in a sense, it's a look back. And what he's doing is he says, God, he says, he first looks at some life experiences. He said, verse 2, God led them in the wilderness. He gave them direction by the cloud in the day and the fire by night. And I think it's interesting that it will be about a century later that in the book of Nehemiah, you have in chapter 9, uh, Nehemiah reminding of uh, the children that have gone back from captivity, back to that promised land. He's reminding them the same things that Moses did. And you can compare this in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 19. He says, because of your great compassion, Nehemiah says, you did not abandon them in the desert. By day, the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way that they were to take. So he says, there's a life experience. Remember that. God led you in wilderness, in the tough times, in the tough place. And then he goes on, he says, another life experience is God fed you in the wilderness. I read that in verse 3. Nehemiah 9, 20 says, you had manna for your mouth and water for your thirst. You know, he supplied the very things you needed, the essentials of life. And then he goes on and he gives him a life experience. God clothed you in the wilderness, verse 4. Nehemiah 9, 21 says, you lack nothing. Your clothes did not wear out. You know, how does that work for you? Well, my clothes wear out. Actually, they don't wear out necessarily. I just grow out of them. But, and you know, you know that, that's sort of the, the principle there. And, there. and notice the other life experience. God strengthened them in the wilderness. Your feet did not swell. I don't know if any of you have ever been on a long hike. But I want to tell you, my hiking shoes get really tight after one day of hiking. Try that for 40 years. Amazing. 
And this is what God did. And it's out of those life experiences. Then he goes on and he also says in these verses, he says, that produced a possibility to have some life lessons. And the life lessons you see there, he says, well, one of the things you learned is to know what was in your heart. You know, it's interesting in verse 2, it says, to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. God sometimes puts us in the wilderness so that we are uncovered with what we're really like. And then we find out further, he goes on and says, to know what isn't important in life. Verse 3, that you might know that man shall not live by bread alone. And another life lesson, to know how God deals with his children. Verse 5, that he chastens you as a son because he loves you and he's taking off from you that which is not perfect in you. So Moses reminded them how the Lord had blessed. And the blessings of God were associated with interaction with his people as a, as a leader and a provider and an empowerer and a corrector. And sometimes the best place to see this is in the wilderness. One person made an interesting observation. It says, The wilderness tested and disciplined the people in various ways. On the one hand, the desolation of the wilderness removed the natural props and supports which man by nature depends upon. It cast the people back on God, who alone could provide the strength to provide in the wilderness. Do you remember that? Do you remember how God's provided? Have you thought back before COVID how God provided for you there? Did, did you think back there? He provided. He cared for you. He got you through those wilderness experiences. Guess what? He's going to get you through this one too. That's what God does. Now, are we able to bless the Lord as you see him work in the wilderness of life? That's a great question. That's a great emphasis here. There's a, there's a second division that we see here. And now he goes on and he's rehearsing God's future blessings. You see this in chapter 8 in verses 6 through 10. He, he, he says there, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. He says, For the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land which you will eat and spread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you've eaten and you're full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. So what he does, first of all, in rehearsing God's future blessings, see, he's moved from the past. You look back and see that. Now he's moving into the future. Here's where God is taking you. Here's this promised land. Now, what God had promised to do, the key is provide. You see it in verses 6 through 9. Provide. The promise root is in, is in grace. It's not because they deserve this. Actually, look back just a, a, a little earlier in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. You see it in verses 6 through 8. And he says, he says, You are a holy people for the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the peoples, but because the Lord loves you. And because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. You see, 
This promise of provision is rooted in grace. They didn't deserve this, but they received this by the grace of God, just as you have received your salvation by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And by grace, he's not only providing for you now, but by grace, he is taking you into a place that you don't deserve. It's called heaven. By the blood of Jesus Christ that he's shed for you. And by you putting your faith and trust in what Christ has accomplished. So he says he's provided, and it's, this is rooted in grace, and it's a provision that's involved in such abundance. Water to drink, verse 7. Crops to eat, verse 8. Abundant provision, first part of verse 9. And material wealth. That's really what's been alluded to in the last part of verse 9. He says, this is what God has promised to do. Now, this is what he will provide. Now, what should we do? And the key word here is praise. Okay, if God has provided, what do we do? We say, wow, we deserved it. No, 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 no. No, no, no. We look back and we praise him. We enjoy, verse 10, what the Lord has provided. And we acknowledge then that the Lord has provided it. So you see, in this second division of his address, he has us rehearsing, he's rehearsing God's future blessing. Moses reminded the people of what God was planning for them. He was taking them from the wilderness to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's what he had promised. He had promised to Abraham. And these promises are now being fulfilled. I find it interesting that, that uh, you know, we can even look at our history and see that people would naturally go from God's provision to God's praise. It was back in... Uh, September the 6th, 1620, the 120 people uh, left uh, Plymouth, England, and they arrived in Cape Cod on November the 9th. After the first winter, 47 people had died. 28 of them, uh, uh, excuse me, 28 of the 40, 48 were males, the providers, the protectors, etc. Governor Carver and his wife, who had come with them to, to provide leadership, they died. William Bradford was appointed governor, and in the fall of 1961, they declared a day of public thanksgiving. See, they had endured the wilderness, they had seen God provide, and now they wanted to give thanks. What Neil read today, that was written during the Civil War, when Abraham Lincoln wrote this, and it's interesting, it's sometimes the best time to see how God works is when we see it in the context of the black cloth of adversity. In the black cloth of adversity, we see the diamonds of the grace of God. And here it is. They're rehearsing God's future blessings. I, I wonder, not only are we able to bless the Lord as we see him working in the wilderness of life, but has the wilderness that we faced possibly shrouded the blessings that God has provided? Or have we thanked him? And this brings us to the last uh, part of this, this address. And he's recognizing the peril of forgetting the one who blesses us. He says, you know, you've got to beware of distorted thinking. In, in verses 11 to 13, he talks about this. He says, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. And he goes on and he talks about how we can sometimes do this. And when does this happen? When we have built, verse 12, beautiful houses, when we've dwelled in them, when our herds and our flocks multiply, when your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord. You see, when distorted 
distortions may come, it's after a time of prosperity. I can remember very well when it was uh, the first time that I had been in Ukraine. It was 1992. And we had been there and we had seen the poverty. We had seen the, the horrible conditions that people were living in. And that's when our church began to become more involved with that sister church. You know the amazing thing that, that happened is we were getting on a train to take a 12-hour train trip back from Zaporozhye to Kiev and then from Kiev to Moscow and then to flight back to the United States. And I can remember the very first thing that we came back to is I came back to Thanksgiving. And I came and I could hardly eat. I did, by the way. But I could hardly eat that Thanksgiving meal. Because I, I remembered the words. I asked Pastor Petranko as we got on that train to go back to Kiev. I said to Pastor Petranko, how do we pray for you? And I was thinking of all the things that we'd seen. And I was ready for this grocery list like we work on. When we think of all the things we need, all the burdens we have, all the things that are going wrong in life. You know what he he prayed, and I wrote this down, and I have never forgotten it. I have repeated it many, many times. Pastor Petrenko, he simply said this. He says, we have survived adversity. Pray that we will be able to survive prosperity. Significant statement. Significant statement. We have, we have survived adversity. Will we be able to cope with prosperity? Amazing. But when this distortion developed, it says that, but notice the way it developed. In verses 14 through 18, you see it. What, what did it do? What, how does it look? He says, well, here's, here's how it develops. First of all, there's pride. Verse 14, your heart is lifted up. Secondly, it leads to forgetfulness, and you forget the Lord your God, the last part of verse 14 to 16. And then it leads to self-deception in verse 17. And you say in your heart, here's the deception, my power and my might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And he says, here's how your feelings get corrected. Verse 18, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. It is He that may establish His covenant which He has sworn to your fathers as it is this day. Correct your thinking. Because He says, if you have distorted thinking that you must beware of, then beware because it is very easy to, to develop into distorted living. And in verses 19 through 20, he says this, and then it shall be that if any means you forget the Lord your God and follow other gods serve them and worship them. And I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. And the nations which the Lord destroys before you, they will perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. In other words, he says, his process is you forget the Lord. You don't follow the Lord's voice, verse 20. You follow other gods, verse 19. You serve and worship other gods, verse 19. And you perish, verse 19. In other words, Distorted thinking produces distorted living. Make sure you are not distorted in your thinking in difficult days. Make sure that your thinking is right on target, as difficult as the days may be. So Moses sounded a stern warning about what can happen if we forget God in our prosperity, if we fail to recognize with gratitude the blessings we've received, and when we begin living distorted lives that ignore and even replace God. You know, Paul addressed this 
in the book of Romans, in chapter 1, it says that men, when they were blessed, it says, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who blessed them forever. Isn't the Apostle Paul simply looking back at the very thing that was described in Deuteronomy chapter 8? Distorted thinking, distorted living. As I said, we must not forget the Lord because of the blessings. Our blessings should be acknowledged with gratitude. And gratitude does something to us. came across a quote that really struck me a number of uh, weeks ago by Melody Beattie. And she, she said, Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos into order, confusion into clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger to a friend. Listen to this. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. Those are great thoughts. So let us express our gratitude. You know, there's a verse of Scripture that you see on the screen there that's a wonderful verse of Scripture. In everything. You know, I, I wish that sometimes that it, he had said uh, in some things, in things when things are going well, you know, the positive things. And that's why I put this. This is the RSV, the Reed Standard Version. I put it in brackets. In adversity and prosperity. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The wilderness will refine you, and Christ will be with you in the wilderness. And in your prosperity, you give blessing, because He's been with you, and He's provided for you. And we're looking forward to a day when we're going to be with Him face to face. And all the things that uh, we have now, as that song says, In everything grows dim in the light of His glory and grace. Our hardships, our blessings, they don't mean a whole lot compared to what is ahead, what God has provided by His grace. If you're here today and you don't know Christ or you're listening online, I pray that today you would understand that God has done wonderful things for you. And He's done this by His grace. You've, you haven't earned it. Because you see, the the bad news, good news is this. The bad news is the wages of sin is death. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that means all of us deserve death. But do you see, the good news is this. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So praise Him for the gift of God and accept it by faith. That's what He asks us. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy and grace, He saved us. And so that means we need to simply accept from Him the gift of eternal life. All the gifts you have that God has given to you are nothing in comparison to the great gift of eternal life. Please keep that in mind. If you have never accepted Christ, do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for the many blessings we have. 
Lord, may we, as believers in Jesus Christ, come to the place of giving gratitude consistently, not because we feel like it, but because it's reasonable. This is our reasonable act of worship, as it says in Scripture. We worship as we give our lives to Christ. May we do so for His glory and for His grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.